وما أرسلنا من قبلك إلا رجالا نوحي إليهم فاسألوا أهل الذكر إن كنتم لا تعلمون السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولهم بعد uh, today's Q&A is going to be inshallah very special, a very important, a very relevant, a very exciting uh, Q&A. In fact, uh, it's going to be just one question and that is about the vaccine. SubhanAllah, we have been under lockdown for the last 10-11 months. Uh, you know, it was Allah's qadr that when uh, the COVID crisis was just beginning, I had a trip planned, you know, to uh, to Andalus, to Spain. Actually, you see the, 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 the college behind me, that's why it's there. And the flights began shutting down while we were outside and subhanAllah we began to panic what's going to happen I was on one of the very last flights back into the uh, the country after they shut uh, down the flights for a while and then as you know complete lockdown like even shopping we had only a window of, of a period of time the masjid was completely locked down and we're wondering you know when is this going to finish when will we see you know some cure and whatnot and alhamdulillah thumma alhamdulillah after all of these months there is inshallah ta'ala some light at the end of the tunnel you know there are not just one but maybe even two maybe maybe even three uh, potential vaccines that are already being made available across uh, Europe and even in America uh, amongst healthcare workers it has begun. Uh, but now, now that we have this light at the end of the tunnel, uh, legitimately people are questioning, is this fine? Is this Islamic? Are there any problems? And of course, uh, we love to, you know, forward messages and WhatsApp videos and, you know, um, uh, uh, people that we don't know who they are, but they're just forwarding messages and whatnot. And that raises a subculture, you know, of conspiracy theories and the problem with conspiracy theories is that they're so ludicrous except the very few that are actually valid because there are indeed some strange things that happen and sometimes there are entities that are behind it and so uh, it's very difficult to dismiss any theory just because it's bizarre at the same time you know we are told to be an intelligent and a cautious uh, nation we don't just fall prey to rumor mongering we don't just you know open up the door to any qila waqal any type of hearsay and so we have to have a very intelligent uh, conversation about the realities of this medication. So what I thought we'd do today, inshallah ta'ala, is that we have a very special guest, but before we get to him, I wanted to just very briefly remind us, I have given a longer lecture about this, but very briefly remind us that overall, not just about this particular vaccine, but overall, what is the Islamic philosophy about medication? What does the Sharia say about taking uh, cures for the diseases that we have? And uh, of course, in a nutshell, as our Prophet sallallahu said in that beautiful hadith, that there is not a single disease that Allah Azza wa Jal you know, has, has created except that He has also created a cure for that disease. That Allah has never sent a disease down except that He has also sent the cure down with it. So, Whoever knows the cure knows it. Whoever doesn't know it does not know it. A man came to the Prophet and he said, O Messenger of Allah, should I take medicines when I'm sick? Should I take dawa? And our Prophet said, Hadith is in Abu Dawood, Naam tadawaw ya ibadallah. Yes, 
take medicine, O servants of Allah. And therefore, uh, the default position has been uh, that it is uh, permissible, maybe even it is encouraged to take medication. By the way, I went into detail in my other lecture that no uh, madhab has said that it is obligatory because obviously this opens up a huge Pandora's box of, well, which medication? And what if the cost is too high and whatnot? So really no main school ever said it is obligatory to take every single medication. Rather, what some ulama have said, and this is the position that I follow, Ibn Taymiyyah said this as well, that if the cure or the medication is pretty much guaranteed and it is very cost effective, it's very easy to do and you're going to save a life. If you don't do it, you might potentially die. Simple example, may Allah protect all of us, but suppose you know there was a, a, a wound and your hand is bleeding profusely and all you have to do is basically you know uh, bandage it up properly or apply pressure or put a tourniquet or whatever needs to be done and you're like, no, I'm not going to take any type of precautions. This is foolishness. That's something that you know, the Sharia would say you might even be sinful for allowing a life to die, maybe even your own life to die for something that is so simple. On the other hand, you know, if a person, may Allah protect all of us, if a person has cancer and then they have to go through many types of radiation therapies, there's no cure, there's no, sorry, there's no guarantee, Allah knows what's going to be the result, and the person opts and says, you know what? I've lived a good life and alhamdulillah, whatever Allah wills, I'm happy with it. He's fine, he can make that option. The person has the right to decide whether they want to take a medication that has side effects, etc., etc. So the default when it comes to medication is that it is something that is permissible and it might be recommended if it's a very uh, you know, uh, easy uh, uh, medication that is cost effective and it might be obligatory if it is guaranteed to be life-saving and it is also easy to do. So this is really where the spectrum um, comes. As well, generally speaking, medications, there is a concession given when it comes to the ingredients in them. Uh, that in case we do not find an alternative and the medication might have a substance that we view to be uh, najis, we view to be something that is impermissible, that generally speaking, if that medication uh, improves the quality of life, much less actually life-saving, of course, then that's a whole different area altogether, then our scholars have allowed taking a medication that might even have some haram ingredients in it, if it is, uh, as we said, either improving the quality of life or ensuring uh, the, the, the maintenance of life, or uh, there is no alternative uh, to that medication. And uh, the, the, the evidences for this have been given in the previous lecture. So therefore, in a nutshell, uh, if a vaccine were to appear, which we hope inshallah it is the case, that is uh, possible to eliminate this disease, to control this disease, the default shari ruling would be that it is permissible, if not at least encouraged uh, to take this medication. Now, that's the Islamic side of things. We now have to get to the medical side of things, which is, is this, what is this vaccine? What is a vaccine? Is this vaccine actually effective? And of course, these questions are beyond my purview. They're beyond my training and expertise. Um, I am a PhD doctor, uh, as my mother says, not the real doctor, but the PhD <laughs> doctor, right? So I'm not the MD doctor. Sorry to disappoint you on me, but uh, you know, so I'm not the MD doctor, but I'm the PhD doctor. Uh, and so therefore, I'm not qualified to respond to those types of questions. Therefore, in order to get to that, uh, uh, to that topic, we have invited one of our own epics, uh, you know, finest, uh, somebody that is well known to all of us because mashallah, that uh, along with being uh, a 
full-time board-certified emergency uh, room physician. He's also a volunteer. We see him, mashallah, tabarakallah, at the front lines in the ER and at the front lines here on Epic. I've seen him, you know, even manage traffic and do security. He's got an imposing, you know, six foot six, I think, mashallah, figure. So I'd like to welcome uh, Dr. Suleiman Abawi. Dr. Suleiman, nice to have you. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Thank you so much. I do not deserve that uh, wonderful intro, but uh, thank you so much for having me here and I'm happy to answer any questions that I can to um, help alleviate some of these concerns about the vaccine. Alhamdulillah, Zakallah for being uh, with us. And again, I'd like to reiterate that um, uh, Dr. Suleiman is a board certified full-time uh, ER doc, uh, doctor. He's working uh, full-time at the uh, Texas Health uh, Clinic in Frisco. And so he is somebody that uh, inshallah ta'ala understands and is well aware of uh, this new vaccine that is out on the market. Now, I am somebody who doesn't really know medicine. To be honest, I didn't really like biology that much anyway. In, in college, I was more of a chemistry guy and mathematics. So explain to me uh, what what is this uh, mRNA, Myrna mRNA vaccine? Uh, what exactly is it and how exactly does a vaccine work? Well, uh, there are two main types of vaccine. Actually, there are several vaccines. There's what we categorize them as conventional vaccines and then these new uh, generation mRNA uh, vaccines. So to kind of explain the difference between the two, um, conventional vaccines, the way they were produced, they were very uh, tedious to to create um, and it also created a lot of issues with it but basically what they would do is they would take live um, virus injected or incubated in a uh, egg um, and then grow as much of the the virus as they could and then deactivate the virus and then try to make the vaccine from that so that's what a conventional vaccine was now because of that it had a lot of issues because of um, preservatives that were needed to uh, in it, um, mercury, aluminum, things like that. Also, um, it could have created a lot of allergic reactions to either the eggs or you know some of the preservatives that were in them. So though they actually started developing mRNA um, technology, this is not a new technology. It's actually been around for almost 15 years. So all of the machinery to develop this corona um, uh, vaccine has already been in place. And that's part of the reason why they were able to get it into the market so quickly. All the Think of it as a, um, a, an industrial kind of uh, line. All the machinery had already been there. They had been studying mRNA um, technology for targeted cancer research, uh, for vaccines for other diseases like tuberculosis and HIV. All of that had already been, the framework was already there. When Corona started about nine, 10 months ago, really all they had to do was sequence the spike protein on the coronavirus and then put that in the machinery and they were able to produce the vaccine very quickly because of that. So what exactly it is, we'll, we'll go into it. I'm not gonna make this lecture too technical. Uh, I want everybody to be able to understand it. Uh, but um, as we start, going through some of the questions, hopefully I'll be able to answer it uh, to the best of my ability. So uh, to understand you correctly, therefore the mRNA type of vaccine does not contain uh, the live virus in it. Therefore, the question that I have for you, is it possible in any way, fashion or form to somehow get the, the virus, get COVID from the vaccine itself? So that's a very good question. And the answer is no, it is absolutely impossible to get actual COVID or any other 
uh, disease from the vaccine, from an mRNA vaccine. And the reason why is this, the way I'm gonna explain this to you is um, uh, a simple analogy that will hopefully help you understand. So spike proteins are present on all living things. Uh, viruses have them. Uh, and what a spike protein is, it's like a badge on a car. So you look at a car, you see a badge that says BMW. You know it's a BMW. You see Ford, you see Jaguar, you see whatever. So that badge is what differentiates one car from the other. It's the same thing as a spike protein. So a spike protein is a badge on that virus. And what they do for these vaccines is they just, they use this mRNA technology to mass produce. Basically all it does is produce copies and copies and copies of the badge. So when it's injected into your body, uh, these badges are being uh, produced and your, your immune system now starts to recognize it and create antibodies against it because it recognizes it as foreign. So as it's impossible to build a whole car from just a badge, it's also impossible to get the disease from just the spike protein. So um, it is absolutely impossible to get um, COVID from the COVID vaccine. Hopefully that answers the question. So if there's no live vaccine in there without getting too technical, I mean, I've read again, I'm also, believe it or not, I do get WhatsApp, uh, you know, forwards from uh, family and relatives about this type of stuff. I mean, we've read that the vaccine might have what mercury or aluminum or so. I mean, again, without getting too technical, but explain to us lay people like if the va if the vaccine does not contain the virus, well, then what is in it? So actually, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing that uh, this vaccine has literally five ingredients in it. It has the mRNA molecules. It has a lipid carrier, which helps that mRNA get into our cells. Um, so basically fat cells, um, saline, potassium, and sugar. Those are the five ingredients that are in this vaccine. There is no preservatives, no heavy metals, no mercury, no aluminum. None of the stuff that they had to put in previous conventional vaccines is present in these new generation mRNA vaccines. So that is, should be a sigh of relief for a lot of us uh, that worry about those kind of things. Alhamdulillah, that's really good to hear, Alhamdulillah. Well, another uh, concern, and uh, to be honest, I also have a little bit of concern in this regard. I mean, uh, the, the swiftness with which the FDA approved uh, the, the uh, most vaccines, I know, take years, if not decades of testing. There seems to be, and I understand why, obviously, the COVID crisis is going on, but were any corners cut? Was it too swift? Like, we're looking for an answer did we just jump on the first potential one without really doing a thorough uh, survey? So is it safe? Has it been proven to be safe? Well, to answer your question, Sheikh, I mean, uh, the answer is mostly uh, no, but uh, in some parts you may be correct. Uh, what I mean by that is this, like I mentioned before, all the machinery had, was already in place prior to even COVID starting. So they already had all that in line. And like I said, when this crisis hit, it was fairly simple for them to, you know, uh, you know, sequence the genome of the spike proteins and then implement that into the thing and start developing the vaccine fairly quickly. Now, the question I think you're asking is that, okay, we understand that the technical part of developing the vaccine didn't take very long, but what about the safety of this, uh, of this vaccine? Well, in, in some regards, you are correct. I mean, they have not had the ability to test this vaccine, wait several years to see if there was any kind of side effects or anything, and then report back. 
That, that part is true. They, they have not had the luxury of being able to do that because we're in the midst of a pandemic. But that being said, with all vaccines, most of the side effects that you're gonna see with a vaccine, you're gonna see with, within the first few weeks. Um, first three weeks is actually what they say. So what Moderna and Pfizer both did is they extended their trials to uh, two months to four months, just to more than double, uh, you know, to cover that time period. And, um, you know, fortunately they found no major side effects with other than the typical things that you would see with any vaccine. Uh, and we'll go over that later, but uh, there was no major side effects reported in that observation period, uh, which was re very reassuring. Uh, so just to, again, verify roughly how many people were actually uh, tested and how well did it work on the on these, you know, test subjects? Uh, so the study, uh, there, I mean, obviously there's there's many vaccines being developed right now and each of them have their own uh, subgroups. But the one uh, that, uh, you know, we're taking that uh, the Pfizer vaccine, um, there was 18,000 people. The way they developed the study, they had 18,000 people who received the vaccine. Then they had another 18,000 people who received a placebo, a, uh, just a saline injection. Of the vaccine group, only eight people out of 18,000 ended up getting COVID. Of the placebo group, 162 people ended up getting COVID uh, in the placebo group. And that's how they got the efficacy of 95%. Uh, and that's where that number, you'll hear it a lot in the media. They say, oh, it's 95% effective. Well, that's a big difference between 162 people and eight people. Uh, so, I mean, clearly it's effective, uh, but that's how they got the number. And that's the sample size that they were using was fairly large, so. Okay. Um, are there, I mean, there must be some side effects. Are there any, what are the ones that, um, those that decided to, to opt for the vaccine, what are the side effects they should be aware of and looking for? Yeah. So, I mean, common side effects with any vaccine uh, uh, and, and what was reported from, from these studies, uh, fatigue uh, is very common, uh, pain at the injection site, um, your arm will feel very, you know, sore for a while, fever, headache, uh, myalgias, or I'm sorry, um, body aches and um, joint, joint pains. Uh, these are all common, but they're very transient. They don't last very long and, um, you know, usually goes away within a day. And that seems to be like, uh, like you said, for pretty much any, in fact, to be honest, sometimes you get a flu shot and you get the similar types of uh, symptoms as well. Uh, okay, we have to talk very frankly about one of the most um, uh, heated conspiracy theories out there that has been going on for not even just now, even before this, uh, this COVID uh, vaccine. And that is the notion of vaccines being linked to autism. I mean, we're all aware. I myself have read a number of articles that have been, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter. There are even these interviews by people that look professional. They have medical degrees at the bottom of their interview names and whatnot. I mean, I haven't done the research, but they're forwarded to me where people are claiming that vaccines and maybe even this particular vaccine itself is a direct cause of, of autism or of, you know, mental impairment or neurological diseases or something of this nature. So is there any credibility? And these people that are speaking, I mean, are they reputable doctors? What's the deal with all of this? So uh, that, uh, that's a great question. Um, this whole thing started in the late 90s. Uh, there was a British surgeon, actually, uh, his name was Dr. Wakefield. He originally published a paper linking autism with vaccinations, um, and it was published in a very prestigious uh, journal, The Lancet, I'm sure many of you have heard of, uh, about it. Um, and then he created, you know, he, you know, proposed that there was this link. Well, 
subsequently, the media ran with this story. It was on front page news everywhere. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm sure probably some of you guys remember that. And uh, all of the conspiracy theories and uh, people really ran with this news. Subsequently, though, uh, many, many researchers went back. They went through his original data. They found numerous, numerous mistakes, uh, lots of um, uh, problems, even so much to the fact that they revoked his, his medical license because it was so purposefully uh, flawed. And then when they've done, when they did subsequent uh, studies, uh, unbiased studies, they found no correlation, no link, and this was done multiple, multiple times. But unfortunately, by then, the damage was already done, uh, and it became part of the uh, anti-vaxxer movement to kind of uh, get people to stay away from vaccines and, you know, all the, all the things that went along with it. So that was an unfortunate thing that happened. I mean, if you look at public health, in the last 200 years, the single best accomplishment that we have made in medicine in the last 200 years has to be vaccinations. Um, it's, it's really an amazing thing, and it's sad that people are now starting to turn away from them. And frankly, this is something that is verifiable. You can actually see for yourself child mortality rates and specific diseases that have been pretty much eliminated because uh, we've introduced vaccines. So uh, I think it is true to say that no uh, mainstream reputable uh, um, uh, person you know, of a medical background is buying into this uh, notion that vaccinations, uh, they cause uh, you know, autism and whatnot. This is a very well debunked uh, a theory that was pr um, propagated uh, in the late 90s. Uh, but we go back to the issue of the, the, vac the vaccine right now for our uh, COVID case. And the question arises then again, we're, I'm not very familiar with this, but is there any change to the actual DNA that takes place because of the vaccine? That's a good question. So now it would seem, uh, uh, it would seem logical that if you're injecting messenger RNA into your cells, um, that it could potentially change your own DNA. And um, the good news is that, that uh, it, it does not happen. There's no way this vaccine is going to change your DNA. Uh, it does not impact it anyway. It does not even enter into the nucleus, which is where your DNA, uh, uh, where, where it's found. The way I want you to think about mRNA is it's like a photocopy machine. It's uh, when you have an original, you go to the photocopy machine, you make as many copies as you want. Every time you make a copy, it does not change the original at all. It does not impact it at all. And that's exactly how messenger RNA works. It's just making photocopies of the spike protein, um, but it does not impact your DNA at all. But, Sheikh, I will, I will admit there is one caveat. There has been only one case of somebody actually having physical changes from a vaccine. It was an unfortunate uh, scenario. It was a young man who uh, received a vaccine and got bitten by a spider at the same time, and then shortly afterwards developed superpowers and began sw swinging from buildings. So that's the only one that I can, I can come up with. But all kidding aside, other than Spider-Man, nobody's been affected by vaccines, and it will not alter your DNA in any way. Of course, there's been a lot of research done on Spider-Man. You can look up very reputable publications known as Marvel uh, magazines and comics, and so you'll find a lot of very advanced uh, materials. By the way, I used to read um, I used to read Marvel comics as a kid, but anyway. Uh, okay, so that was a joke, guys. There is no uh, strange, bizarre case uh, because of them. Um, but I have a question uh, about Moderna versus Pfizer. I know that Pfizer has to be super refrigerated. 
Uh, I mean, firstly, why? And secondly, just briefly, is there any difference that we should be aware of between the two? Yeah, so um, the, there is a difference between the two companies. Pfizer's has to be super refrigerated. Um, the reason why is messenger RNA is extremely fragile. And the risk is, is that if it's not kept in a super refrigerated state, um, uh, then it's going to basically break down and it's going to become ineffective. Now, the difference between the two, uh, Pfizer, when they did their study, they set up their study that way that they were preserving their vaccine in that state. So once they came to market, they had to continue that, um, that method. Now, Moderna, they did not keep it in that state. It there obviously was refrigerated, but at more conventional temperatures. And then when they, they came to market, they were able to continue that. So it did create a little bit of a logistical challenge for Pfizer. But nonetheless, um, once the vaccine is thawed, you have about six hours to use it. Unfortunately, if it's not used within six hours, it has to be discarded because it becomes ineffective. So. Uh, just a personal question here, like you've done research on this regard, is there a preference that you would uh, offer us between Pfizer if we get an opportunity to have a decision between Pfizer and Moderna? Uh, good, good question. Uh, honestly, the data for both of them look very, very similar. And that's honestly what we would expect if they're both working in the same way. They're not using novel approaches. Uh, they're both working in the same way. We would expect around the same efficacy. Also, if the trials were unbiased, then you should get about the same results for both trials. And that's actually what we do see. So between the two, I, I mean, it's uh, heads or tails, honestly. It really doesn't make whichever one is available the soonest would be the one that I would, I would go for. How about um, specific uh, sub-demographics? Um, pregnant ladies, children, uh, breastfeeding mothers, um, elderly. I mean, is it, has there been enough surveys or research done on them, or um, is there any exceptions to be made for specific demographics? Oh, so that's a good question, but the issue is, is that anytime they do an immunization trial, they always do a trial with non-pregnant adults. They never ever start off a trial with kids or, you know, lactating women or, or things like that. It's always going to be non-pregnant adults that they start to trial with. Now, does that mean that these vaccines would not help or benefit people? Of course they, they potentially would, but when they start a trial, they always have to start that way. Um, now, that being said, the, uh, Pfizer just revised their study, uh, and now they're including uh, children 12 years and older. So what, and, and Moderna is following suit. So I think that that's kind of setting the stage for the next thing, and, and, and they both announced that, you know, uh, likely they're gonna have a vaccine available for children probably towards the end of uh, late uh, 2021. But the good news is that, I mean, I can tell you from my experience as an emergency room physician, um, I have seen kids who have had COVID. Most of them are either asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. Um, I have seen kids that have become very sick. Fortunately, it's, it's much more rare. So the population that we really, really need to immunize right now or concentrate on are the vulnerable and the, and, and, and the people who are, tend to be more affected by, by COVID. So I'm going to go back to something you said earlier, because this is definitely one of the concerns that a lot of people have. And I'd like you to talk a little bit more about it. And that is the issue of potential um, long term effects. Like you, you said that uh, obviously, look, look, I mean, I understand we are in a crisis. We're in a pandemic. We haven't seen something like this for 105 years. We're all in crisis mode. We don't have the luxury of waiting uh, a year or however many years that most vaccine tests are done. So I understand we need to be very fast. But 
What if we're still like, I mean, there's a legitimate concern. What if dot, 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 like what if something happens, you know? I mean, I literally have people texting and tweeting that, you know, people are going to start turning into zombies or something <laughs> if they take the vaccine in a few years. I mean, what, what can we do to, to uh, allay such fears? Or are these fears maybe totally unfounded or slightly not zombies, but I'm saying like, who knows the repercussions? So uh, talk to us about that. So uh, good, uh, again, uh, there is, I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this in any way and say, no, this is 100% safe, everything is good. I mean, you are right, there, we don't have any long-term data and we're not going to have long-term data for a while. But that being said, I myself am, I was apprehensive, uh, even though I'm a medical professional. It's not that I blanket give endorsements to anything, but once I actually did the research and once I actually studied it and I saw these are the new generation immunizations. These are not a lot of the problems that we've had with older immunizations had more to do with it being inactivated live virus, with it being incubated in different types of mediums, with the preservatives that were in, in them, heavy metals and so on and so forth. I understand why people have hesitation when it comes to immunizations because of where we started from. But these new uh, mRNA vaccines, literally they are using your body to train it to be able to defend itself. And it does it in a very, very um, uh, simple kind of way. And that's why we were able to, you know, come up with this vaccine with very few ingredients because it, they're really not super complicated. And, you know, all the trial data that I've seen, everything that I've looked at, I mean, it looks very, very promising. Now, are you going to have somebody that potentially could have an allergic reaction to it? Absolutely. But you could have somebody that could go eat a candy bar and have an allergic reaction to that. So, I mean, there is no 100% safe anything. But that being said, this is, this is as good as it's going to come, you know, for, for, for what we do. But if, it, you know, I, I wish there was more I could say about that other than, you know, we don't have the long-term data. That is a valid concern. But what we have so far looks very, very promising. So, you know, this reminds me of the hadith of the process and I'm tie your camel and put your trust in Allah. You know, by tying your camel, there is no guarantee that the camel is not going to somehow break away. Your, your knot could be loose or the, the rope could be at its frayed length or whatever. I mean, you do your best and you leave the rest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no, you know, foolproof anything. I mean, so we have to just be reasonable in this regard. And uh, every, I mean, you know, this is the, the uh, cumulative research of the scientific community is telling us that uh, uh, these vaccines are far better than the alternative. Nobody's saying that it's, you know, you're going to become Superman or maybe, you know, Spider-Man or whatever. Nobody's saying you're going to, everything's going to be fine. But realistically, everything appears to be that this is uh, the best medication that we have. And frankly, 95% is a, a staggeringly high uh, statistic. It's actually better than most other vaccines. So we thank Allah. And, and remember, I mean, dear Muslims, didn't our Prophet say himself that for every disease, there's going to be a cure? And so... If Allah Azza has blessed us to come to the cure, then why problematize it when uh, there doesn't seem to be, you know, the, any reasonable ground? And 
You know, we, we are told in our religion to look at the source of information. We're told that if a person who doesn't have a good reputation comes and tells you something, then verify it, don't accept it. And every single field has its experts. Every single area has those that have studied it and are masters of it. Therefore, we go to the people of special speciality. Allah says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعَلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge, you know, if you do not know. Every field has its experts and people of knowledge. And generally speaking, you know, to, to, to claim that the entire scientific community is a part of a cabal or a global conspiracy theory, you know, it defies uh, the imagination. It's something that is unrealistic and it doesn't become, it doesn't behoove a believer to go down that type of route. And speaking of bizarre conspiracy theories, I have to ask you uh, point blank, Dr. Suleiman, how did uh, um, Bill Gates manage to introduce a nano chip into the vaccine? Can you explain the technology behind tracking uh, uh, where we're going to be moving and every single thing that we say? Explain that to us, please. Now, Sheikh, I, I think you, you, you got this, you nailed this one right on the head. This is actually true. This is true. In a bid to improve Wi-Fi signals throughout the United States, the United States government, coupled with Bill Gates, uh, implemented this nanotechnology into the vaccines. And I'll tell you what, my Wi-Fi signals have been better than ever. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I, I opted for the 5G version actually, but uh, uh, so I mean, I do get a little bit better signal now. Uh, but no kidding aside, Chich, um I really don't know how this one came about. I mean, people who are so concerned about government tracking and things like that, Every single one of those people have a cell phone. I mean, literally, they can track you everywhere you go, everything you say, listen with your phone. If you're really that concerned, get rid of your cell phone, but go get the vaccine. <laughs> so. and, and by the way, that's absolutely true. All conspiracy theories aside, anybody who has a cell phone and then comes and tells me about, you know, the vaccine has a tracking device, Honestly, with utmost respect, but you've lost the plot on this, okay? Uh, we now, I mean, you know, Snowden and all of these guys, they have verified for us, you know, Assange and all, they have verified, we know for a fact, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know this by now, but we know for a fact that uh, the government, our government monitors, if they wish to, they could, it's not every person is reading your email, but if they wish to, they could listen onto any conversation and check any email that is ever sent from any device, uh, you know, uh, probably in the world, I think, or at least in the country for sure. That's something that has been verified by in our, in our own uh, court documents has been brought up uh, in, in, in Senate hearings and in uh, congressional hearings. So for anybody to, to, to neglect that which we know for sure and then jump on something that is Again, I mean, I'm not uh, you know, a, a person who knows biology that well, but I know my chemistry and I know my physics. There is no such thing as a tracking device at the nanotechnology level. It doesn't work. It's not there right now. And frankly, I don't think it can ever exist. It's a little bit too small for mankind to, to get to that level. So this is a, a conspiracy theory. Look, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I can understand and I am myself concerned about the long-term potential effects. We don't know. It's just better than nothing. And that's a fair concern to have. But to, to, to think that somehow, you know, some entity out there is going to be tracking you via this vaccination, this is a level of conspiracy theory that really, uh, it simply does not go with an intelligent and rational person. And so I'm just going to say this bluntly, that there are legitimate concerns, but this is not one of them. So let's just uh, put that uh, completely um, uh, to rest. Um, final question uh, to you. Um, I'm out of questions pretty much from my side, or maybe one or two more. But final question, one of the final questions is, um, 
One of the things we talked about is long-term effects. Okay, well, does that mean that we're going to be immune? Does that mean that uh, we cannot uh, even carry uh, the disease? So again, the vaccine, does it prevent the carrying of the disease or does it prevent the symptoms of the disease, right? And how long will the vaccine be effective? There's a lot of questions jumped I'll, into one. I'm going to try to unpackage this. I, I, I'm using your words from your <laughs> lectures, but we'll try to unpackage this. This is a lot. These are very, very good questions. And this is the one where there are still some unknowns. Now, to, to answer one of your questions as far as how long does immunity last from this vaccine? Well, they don't know. Uh, the best guess right now is somewhere between four and 12 months, but again, it's not known. Why do I say that? Even people who've had COVID themselves, like native infection, they don't know how long their immunity, they can test their blood levels to see how, much, how long they produce antibodies, but that doesn't necessarily tell them how long it's gonna protect them. So uh, I personally have known people who've gotten COVID twice. Um, I mean, symptomatic COVID twice. So uh, to know how long this vaccine is going to last, um, I would not be surprised if we're going to have to get a booster at some stage. So is that going to be in six months? Is it going to be in a year, like a yearly flu shot kind of thing? Um, we just don't know right now. So I wish I had a better answer for that question, but right now um, we just don't know. Now, the second point that you made, which was really, really important, is... Does it, does it mean that if I get the vaccine, I can carry about uh, my business like normal, don't wear a mask, I can never get COVID, so on and so forth? And that, that's not actually true. I mean, what this study showed is that you have a 95% reduction of risk to getting COVID disease. That doesn't mean that you can't get COVID and spread COVID, but you remain asymptomatic. As a matter of fact, that's one of the concerns about this vaccine is that as people start getting vaccinated and you know they may potentially still be able to spread COVID, but they just won't even know it because they don't have any symptoms. But that being said, that being said, if the chances of getting COVID now, especially now here in Texas and all over the United States and probably in the world, it's pretty high. And if you get COVID, we know that most people who get COVID, they do fairly well. But there are some people that get really, really sick. Now, if you compare that risk with the risk of getting the vaccine, I mean, it's not even, you're not, it's, you can't even make the comparison. The, the COVID vaccine, I think, is, is really our chance at a kind of a game changer to get life back to normal. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, I, it doesn't, it's my point to, to kind of summarize is that even if you get vaccinated, you're still going to have to take some precautions. Yes, you're still probably going to have to wear a mask. I would feel uncomfortable now walking around without a mask, even though I'm vaccinated, because um, I wouldn't want people to think that I'm disregarding public health or, or care for others. So. So out of curiosity, you said you were vaccinated. Um, how was the experience for you? Obviously, you're a healthcare worker. You're on the front line. So obviously, how was it for you, number one? Number two, we're not going to hold you to your word, but do you have any rough idea or any you know, whisperings about when the vaccine will be available to non-specialists, non-doctors, non-MDs like us? Like, where, where are we in the priority of um, uh, the, the, the vaccination? Well, I'm happy to, to report that, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry I had to do that. No major side effects. I did get the vaccine uh, a few days ago. The next day, I did feel a little tired. Um, my arm was sore. Um, 
maybe felt a little feverish, took some Tylenol. Next morning I woke up, absolutely no problem. So um, as far as, uh, yeah, I feel great. I, I haven't noticed any unusual superpowers or anything bad in that regard. Uh, no major side effects. Now, um, your other question was, when will it be available to uh, non-medical personnel? Well, that actually is being controlled by the government. I mean, they have a tiered approach of how they wanted it to roll out. Obviously, frontline workers like myself got it first. And then I think they're going to start targeting the high-risk populations, so nursing homes, elderly, so on and so forth. And then, you know, it's going to work away. But honestly, the, I was astounded at how well this thing rolled out. I mean, usually you think of government, you think of inefficiency, but they had this whole ball rolling before. They were just literally waiting for the green light from the FDA. And once it did, shortly afterwards, the vaccine was at the frontline workers. Now, think of it this way. All of us front, front, um, or frontline workers, we're the guinea pigs. If you're really that apprehensive about this thing, me and hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers uh, I got the vaccine first. So some bad is going to happen to us, inshallah, Allah protect us, but you guys will be in bad shape if all the doctors and frontline workers uh, ended up There's a little consolation in that because then we'd be without any doctors. Like all the doctors just one day wake up we're, and we're halas, gone. they're gone. We so, got to fend for ourselves, you know. Understand. No, but, inshallah, you'll be fine. Inshallah. inshallah, inshallah. But that being said, I mean, they literally gave it to us first. So, uh, and then by the time it rolls out to you guys, I would think probably within the next month, month and a half, you're going to start seeing the mass immunizations. I hope so, but I don't know for sure. Alhamdulillah. You know, that's been a very um, beneficial, I mean, I, I benefited a lot. I asked a lot of questions that um, I had in my mind. Uh, and you know, on a personal note, I mean, again, for whatever it's worth, uh, inshallah ta'ala, whenever the vaccine does come out, uh, I will be there in line to receive it with my family, with my kids. I mean, I, I don't believe uh, that there's any, I mean, that the, everything that I've read about this, and I'm a person who does a lot of reading and research, everything that I've read, it seems to be that, inshallah, this is as good of a cure as, as we'll ever find. And if everybody were to do this, uh, I think that, you know, the, um, uh, the pandemic could uh, foreseeably, inshallah ta'ala, maybe even finish uh, within this year. That's the goal, inshallah, the hope. Uh, so from my side, I want to finish off by saying, Zakallah khair, Dr. Suleiman, for spending your precious time with us. And I'll leave the conclusion to you. Any concluding thoughts uh, before we wrap up for today's q uh, thank you, Sheikh Yasser. I was, uh, this has been really an honor for me to be able to um, sit with you and talk with you about this very, very important vaccination. I will tell you, I've been working the front lines since this thing started, and I can tell you healthcare workers like myself, we're getting tired. It's, it's really becoming hard. Um, we call it the COVID bus, like people just come in waves, one after another, checking into the ER. Um, and it, uh, sometimes it just, you just, you just, you, you pray, you stand there, you're kind of dumbfounded, hoping that, you know, at some point we're going to get some relief. I mean, hospitals are full, emergency rooms are full, and you have to think of it this way. It's not just the COVID patients that I worry about. It's anybody who comes in for any kind of medical emergency, uh, appendicitis or anything. I mean, right now the resources are really strained. And alhamdulillah, especially at my hospital, we've been able to accommodate. Every, everybody's been receiving really good care. But I know in a lot of places, um, care has been compromised, you know. Um, so if, if, alhamdulillah, Allah has given us something, at least a glimmer of hope, um, I really um, urge you as, as your brother and as a physician to uh, consider, do your research, um, but uh, also 
consider getting this vaccine so that inshallah we can put this behind us and uh, move on move on with life uh, so Zakumullah khair. We had a very interesting time. I hope, inshallah, that was a benefit. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal that we are at the beginnings of the end of this pandemic and that life will return to normal. That was our QA for today. Until next week, Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. أحال النار حول خليله روحا وريحانا بقولك كون